I got 75 with you, 80. 75, I'm going to 80. 80, 80, 80. That's cause. It's the Market Report. Steve Fezzik, the expert when it comes to reading the tote board, as it used to be called. You never were a horse racing guy, were you? I have never placed a horse racing bet in a, at a track. But you have, but you have from a you know a pair, or I guess the um, remote pool, like off track. No. So you've never made a bet. I bet on horse to horse matchups in the sports book. Wow. But I I have no idea how to go up and say you know like I, the I, track and the fourth race and the number five. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've never done that. I bet you've had a real depth of knowledge when you were betting those heads up horses. I've or, got or guys. Vito, Vito is telling. I've got you. guys. All right. We are going to be talking about the line. What, what do we do? What does Steve Fezzik do on this report? He talks about Monday night, and that's where we are, 8.34 Pacific time. The Patriots just lost. And poor Fez, you were alive in Survivor. $18,000 in equity. 18000 of equity. Only one winner, though, and it's not going to be you. Though, again, impre- you were down, what, to the final 3% or so? Five percent. Five percent. Well, your impression when you said only one winner, that's very interesting Mm because I would not have said that until this week. But with the top two picks, Tampa and New England going down, I actually agree with you now. I think Uh, there's going to be one dude that scoops. Or a lady. One dude or lady that scoops the six million or possibly. Or a dude that looks like a lady. Or possibly what might happen is you might have like three guys all get eliminated week 19 with the same pick. That could happen also. And it won't matter at that point, if someone gets eliminated earlier, each week is just like if this was the end of the, the tournament or the contest, you would have still been eliminated, even if someone got eliminated on Thursday. Yes. Okay. Um, speaking of eliminated, you know who has more equity than you now? AJ Hoffman, not eliminated in his ATS last man standing. So, AJ, I can neither confirm nor deny he has been updating. The um, the William Hill website, which it's never clear exactly what he, day. He's not updating it. He's waiting to observe the update. But the station, excuse me, the yeah. station. He wants to see how many people what are did left you? alive. Yeah, heck yeah. So there were 40 people, I believe, left. So now, and two of the prominent line moves lost. Oh. When and Miami, Florida closed 10, they were laying eight and a half. So, so you figure the people playing the stale lines might have been inclined to be on that. Exactly. So I want to put out an over-under that only 17 and a half people are left. That's my over-under. Oh, my God. If he wasn't bald already, who knows what would be happening. Mm. But but I'm excited because I I know his depth of knowledge in college football. And I know that working with Scott Seidenberg and them doing the SOVAM has just had him more tuned or as attuned as ever to what's happening. And it pays off. Let yeah. me tell you what happened with this pick real quickly. Baylor, right. he's yeah. on Baylor. Baylor destroys Kansas the entire game. Just, right. just crushes Kansas like mm-hmm. a bug. And they have a 30-mile-an-hour wind in their favor in the fourth quarter. It's a lock. Mm-hmm. He's home free. They're already covering. They pick up a first down. They're in the, on the goal line. They pick up a first down. Mm-hmm. They get the dreaded right foot spot by the ref. A horrible spot. They miss the first down by two inches. Well, it shouldn't matter. They're still up 12. They're fine. There's a monsoon wind. What's the line? The line is like nine. Okay. All right. Kansas somehow, by some miracle, puts together a 95-yard drive, scores with like six minutes left. Ooh. They're de- now Baylor's only up five. They need a touchdown. So, so if they go up there, if they go up by what, 15, they would have went up if they would have yeah, scored. Okay. Exactly. So so ba- he needs a touchdown from Baylor. Not even a field goal. Matriculating down the field. Uh, they punch it in with about two and a half minutes Ooh. left. But then Kansas and, gets the ball back. Yeah, going into that, that win, they did nothing. Yes. Whew. Well, listen, this is what's exciting about 
this is why people bet, you know, is all mm -hmm. we can say. Speaking of that, by the at the end of the pot, I'm gonna be coming back. Fez is gonna be in the, the sandwich. The meat sandwich is Fezic. <laughs> Fe it sounds like pheasant. Fezic, meat sandwich, RJ Low at the beginning. But at the end, it's gonna be more than a little RJ because I'm gonna give you an early best bet from me for the Thursday game. Stay tuned. Let's learn a little something with Steve Fezic and the tote board. No team more interesting than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Their struggles, divorced dad, distracted, <laughs> season not going well. The first place, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mackenzie, what do we have? Thursday night football, Baltimore, Tampa Bay. Lots of movement in this one. The look ahead was Bucks minus three after Sunday's game. World Open, Bucks minus one and a half. Now the Bucks home underdogs plus one and a half on Thursday, hosting the Ravens. Yeah, and the. Big move on Sunday throughout the day, a switchover on favorites. And frankly, I don't think there's going to be any support for Tampa Bay. Here's a team that just lost as a 13-point favorite and, and got blown out. Now, would the game have been totally different if Mike Evans had caught the first post pattern where he was wide open by 20 yards and just missed a perfectly thrown ball? I'm not so sure. Um, the, the mere fact that Tampa Bay can have been such a big favorite the last two weeks and just completely fallen on their face, something is clearly, clearly wrong in Tampa. And the fact Baltimore struggled. Baltimore did not play well against Cleveland. I can't tell you the last time that I've seen um, absent a big um, uh, injury that a team can be – facing a four-and-a-half-point line move against an opponent that underperformed. But that is what we have basically you know, going on here with the switchover of favorites all the way from Tampa minus three up to uh, now Baltimore laying the one-and-a-half. And I don't disagree with it. Um, my rankings, I've got Baltimore three points the better. Tampa Bay, you got to wonder about their home field advantage. It might only be worth the point. Might some boo birds be coming out in Tampa, McKenzie? What would you give their home field advantage? I feel like they're fair weather. I'd say one. I'd say cut it in half from the NFL average. Yeah, so if we make it one, then we land on Baltimore minus two, which pretty much matches the current number. But I got to tell you, I don't think anyone that backed Tampa is going to be looking to back Tampa going forward. And there's a whole bunch of people that play, including myself, that play advantage play contests where they grab good numbers and they've just lost back-to-back -back weeks taking Tampa Bay um, this week minus 11 in the contest when they close minus 13. Week before, taking Tampa minus 8 against Pittsburgh when they close minus 10. You could make a case for two of the bottom five teams in the NFL being Pittsburgh and Carolina. Tampa's just lost to those teams back-to-back. Hard to believe that they're suddenly going to be able to beat a top 10 team. So I could only look to Tampa. I agree with the marketplace. Since 1989, seven teams have lost as back-to-back -back favorites of nine points or more. Buccaneers became the seventh team. Next game is in London. Jaguars and look-ahead line were three-point favorites over the Broncos. World Open was higher than that. Jaguars minus four. Now we've seen that movement come all the way back. Jaguars minus three again. Versus the Broncos in London. So power move today from four to three. And the only way I can explain it 
is that I think that there's a much better chance Russell Wilson will play in this game. And even a banged-up Russell Wilson is still going to go ahead and be an upgrade at quarterback. And so that I, I, I firmly believe that that is what's going on you know, with that line move. Of course, Jacksonville is a team well-versed to playing in Denver and they it wouldn't surprise me if they took some support because of their familiarity with the venue. But with so much uncertainty with Denver, oftentimes when you're not getting any news and you see a one-point power move like this, it almost always represents some group has gotten the information. And I think that the infor- information is that Russell Wilson will play for Denver. I would adjust accordingly. Some knew on Wednesday that Russell Wilson might not play. Some didn't. I was the didn't. I had no idea. Surprise, but then you told me, and it happened. So that's crazy. Now, remember, last week we saw a three-point line move. We saw Denver laying one and a half against the Jets, and then as word leaked out yep. that Russell might not play, it went to pick, and then ultimately when Wilson did not play, line did go to one and a half. The other way, Jets minus one and a half. I guess we can have a conversation about, and we will have a conversation about whether um, the Jets should have won that game. Bottom line, Rippian, not exactly impressive, but um, Denver comes um, Den- Denver comes away with the loss. Um, you could argue with just workmanlike quarterback play, they should have been able to win that game. Yeah, a lot of their advanced stats said they should have won that game. The next game we're going to skip, the Cowboys will be hosting the Bears, recording uh, during Monday Night Football. We'll see how that line reacts. Game after that, the Saints hosting the Raiders. Look-ahead line was a pick now the Saints two-point underdogs hosting the Raiders. Yeah, so the Saints uh, very banged up. I think this is injury-related. So top three cornerbacks are out right now, including Lattimore, I believe, for New Orleans. So the feeling is even though normally the team that has more rest time, New Orleans, of course, played Thursday, so they have the 10 days. So you would expect that they'll be fresher, but um, they've got injuries to Pete. They've got injuries to Michael Thomas. The whole team for the Saints is all banged up. And the Raiders, you know, one you talk about injuries, the Raiders running back seemingly has been hurt his entire career, and he looks fully at 100%. And the Raiders, at 2-4, and four, they're styling. They're playing very good football, and I think they're looking at the schedule in front of them and the demise of the Chargers. Um, perhaps the Raiders, and with Denver struggling, could get back into contention. Um, I certainly... If I look at my power ratings, I go ahead and make this three. So uh, I think more money could be coming on the Las Vegas Raiders here. Wouldn't surprise me. This is one um, that you're going to bet. I might get on the Raiders before what may be a move upwards in this game. Two and a half is popping in some places. Quick question for you. I'll put you on the spot. Raiders, Giants on a neutral. Who's favored? Oh, the Raiders are favored. I like that. Only only easy questions for me. <laughs> Mackenzie's going easy on me because he's, he's seeing my survivor going up in flames. Can't win them all. Win as I and many others, number one pick, New England, minus nothing, minus zero in survivor. <laughs> uh, what's what We're taping as this game goes on. We're into the fourth quarter, Mackenzie. How much is New England ahead by right now? Uh, minus 19 would be the margin. New England? Yeah. I, um, <laughs> hmm. Well, uh, go ahead and print out next year's schedules. And, you know, it's, it's, it's always some, – some argue like the worst day of the year 
for um, a poker player is when he gets knocked out of the main event, and the worst day of the year for a sports better is when he's staring at a $6 million payout on Circus Survivor, and he gets knocked out. So bear with me, everyone, as we move on to the next game. Uh, oh, I got to answer your question. So New York Giants, I have two points worse than average team. Yes, I'm fully aware they're 6-1, and one, everyone. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care about records. It, it, like, when I do power ratings, um, I could be like – Yahoo Sports and ESPN, and just rank everyone by their by their win loss record. Um, Vegas is four points better than the New York Giants, and I think as we look at the New York Giants lines uh, coming up, we uh, you know we'll certainly see that um, I'm not alone in feeling that the New York Giants, as good as Saquon Barkley has played, in, including you know Daniel Jones playing better, this team is still a fugazi and a below average team. One of the things RJ asked me to track here at pregame.com is the line movement rankings. When you adjust for injury, who's bet on, who's bet against? The New York Giants, the second most bet against team from World Open to close. We saw it again last week. Money coming in on the Jaguars. But they're 6-1. and one. Go figure. Next game, lots of movement in this game. The Falcons. The look-ahead line was 6.5-point favorites over the Panthers. That's pretty much where the World Opener was, pretty much where it was Monday morning. Power move. Now, Falcons only minus five hosting the Panthers. Yeah, so Atlanta, what was obvious is they got torched by Burrow and company. Uh, cluster injuries in the defensive backfield, so that is a major concern for Atlanta. But I think that this is a case of Carolina, a fine win against Tampa. Not as impressive as the final score would indicate, but nevertheless, we're certainly going to upgrade the Panthers. You know, I upgraded Carolina by one, but I can't help but think, you know what? They're probably the attitude of this team it has completely changed with PJ Walker playing very well, some um, receivers stepping up and making outstanding catches for him. That uh, this team has gone from Tankapalooza to all of a sudden, um, you know, trying hard and looking to win um, despite um, you're trading away their key pieces. So, um, I would, uh, if I look at the difference between the two teams, I have them at five-point difference in power ratings. I think I've got Carolina too low, however. That would put me on a a six-and-a-half line on Atlanta. The market disagrees. I think the market in this case is right and that I am wrong, and Carolina's probably a team on the come here that's going to continue, at least for a while, to be playing hard. Fourth-best PFF-graded quarterback, P.J. Walker. Can't believe that, but hey, those are the numbers. Next game, the Eagles hosting the Steelers. Interstate rivalry. The look-ahead line was Eagles minus 9.5. Was bet up to 10.5 on the look-ahead close. Was 11 for most of Monday, but moved down. Now Eagles minus 10 hosting the Steelers. Yeah, so this the narrative is that the Steelers on Sunday night football, although it virtually matched the spread losing by 6, the Steelers dropped 3 to a potential interceptions. And so certainly Pittsburgh could indeed have won that game. Miami, their defensive back, did catch the key interception at the end of the game with um, the Steelers in the red zone. A little bit, I think, it's the, the feeling is the Eagles might be a little fat and happy, undefeated, going into a bye. You could easily see the coaching staff, etc., saying, great job, everyone. Enjoy Cancun. And now they come back. Home game might be a little bit hungover. Um, because of that, I would want no part of Philly Having said that, the market, I think, understands this. I make the game 11. The market's a little bit lower. So I think it is reflecting a little bit of the um, the bird hangover that might occur here. 
Might be an interesting subset to look at. Buy teams that are undefeated coming off a of buy. Be interesting. Well, I think you you can run that very query, correct? I will, and I will do it right after announcing this next game. The Lions home underdogs. This was pretty simple. Look ahead line was three, still three. Lions plus three hosting the Dolphins. Yeah, interesting game. Um, you know, the Lions coming back from the bye, much healthier. The feeling was that they would have some offense, and then boom, St. Brown, their wide receiver goes down, and the Dolphins, excuse me, the Cowboys, D, just had their way with the Lions, unable to generate any sort of offense. Got to be concerned, though, about Miami and the way they got up that 13 nothing, and then the offense did nothing against Pittsburgh and the offense had numerous opportunities where they almost turned the ball over as well. I guess you could argue Tua for a period of time looked good, and it certainly if you're betting on Tua, you like the fact in the first half he put his head down and took on defenders. Now, long-term, you don't like that, and we all breathe deeply when we see that happening. Oh, my goodness. He's not going to continue to do this, right? Because you feel like one more hit's going to knock him out for the season. But in any one game, if I bet on the Dolphins, that's exactly what I want to see. Um, by contrast, Arizona Murray, you know, on critical plays, goes ahead and takes, you know, takes a knee as he's running forward one yard short of the sticks. So that's not what I, I want to see from my quarterback. Um, but uh, I thought that initially the Lions might take some support in this game. I only make it 2.75, but I am seeing that support waning um, without their wide receiver, and the defense is still atrocious. Um, this might be a case of same old Lions. You know, Mackenzie, your, your thoughts are like two of the hot teams that were supposed to improve this year, Detroit and Jacksonville. you have any hope for either one of these two teams? Maybe Jacksonville. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is, what, 24? He could be a great quarterback one day. A lot of the numbers with the Lions were extremely lucky on third down, extremely lucky in the red zone. Maybe we should have seen this coming that their offense ain't – they're not scoring 30 points a game. They're not the Chiefs. (laughs) All right, next game. Moving on, the Vikings back off a bye. They are hosting the Cardinals. Lots of movement in this game. The look ahead was minus 6.5. Vikings favored over the Cardinals. That moved to five and a half at the look ahead close. Vikings minus five at the world open. And we are now looking at Vikings only minus three and a half hosting the Cardinals. Okay, so there's a story to be told here. And the story is that the Vikings stink. All right. And that the sharp (laughs) betters are fully aware of it. So now think about this. There's not been a lot of activity in the, with these two organizations. In fact, neither team has played um, or will have played for 10 days before they start. Both are on buys. Arizona, you know, the mini buy, the 10 days. Minnesota, the 14 days. Uh, with the look ahead, despite the fact that uh, nothing was going on with Minnesota, it got bet from 6.5 down to 5.5. So the sharp bears were like, gimme, gimme, gimme. Let me take Arizona plus those points with two teams that aren't that far apart. And that then Arizona meets expectations. All right, they, they, Arizona exceeds expectations on Thursday night. They win by eight. But um, it's not like that would move a line two points. And that's exactly what's happened. It's gone from five and a half to three and a half. And I agree with this whole move. I make this game 3.2. Um, you know, I'm trying to recall, I believe last year, maybe you can look this up, McKenzie. Wasn't this the game that Minnesota missed a late field goal to lose in Arizona? 
like, like week one or two to start the season? Yes, I believe so. I remember the Vikings with that terribly unlucky start. I'll get the exact details. So that being the case, you could put a little, like, normally a 5-1 and one team off of a bye, not the type of team we necessarily, again, happy and drunk with success, but they might have this game circled a little bit because they might view this as one of the first games that was the object of their demise last year where they just couldn't get enough wins to wind up making the playoffs. So that might keep me off Arizona. And frankly, Arizona was a lot more attractive at five and a half, you know, on the look ahead than three and a half right now. But I only make it 3.2. So my, my, and be careful thinking, oh, the Vikings are off the bye. A full week off, I would much rather have a team with 10 days off. I think that that's, you know, the right amount without being rusty. I could only look Arizona and marketplace agrees. It wouldn't surprise me if you like the Vikings in this game. I would hold out for a while. I can't see this line going higher. The Sharps have so, shown so much support already for Arizona. And you're not really giving up anything for such a dead number now. Um, who knows? It's possible you could see enough support to push this thing downward to the point you could get a Minnesota minus three, lay a dollar twenty-five, or something along those lines. And to close the circle on that buy query, we were wondering about undefeated teams after week six in the modern era that are undefeated coming off a of buy three and four ATS. So not exactly something to bet on. But you get a margin for me. Negative point zero seven points per game. Point zero point zero seven. Yes, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, it's good we ran it. It's small sample. Yeah, the more you know. The Houston Texans are underdogs hosting the Titans. The look-ahead line was Texans plus three. World Open was Texans plus three and a half. We are now. There's been quite a movement in this game. Maybe you can explain it to me. We are now looking at Titans only minus one and a half. At the Texans. Yeah, so it's it's quarterback-driven. So what happened is that Tannehill got banged up, and maybe while I, I explain this, you can you can look up what his current status is and his injury, but I know he, he played injured against the Colts in a game that hurt my feelings, although it wasn't Tannehill that caused the cover. Um, but then he left briefly. Willis came in, the um, backup rookie quarterback, played briefly, and then Tannehill returned and finished the game out. So that's why I think the odds makers were comfortable putting a lineup, but uh, now Tannehill, we're not sure whether or not he's going to be able to, to give it a go. Is it a high ankle sprain? What's going on with Tannehill? No real update since after the game. It looks like just a, an ankle injury, but no real uh, prognosis. So I have Tannehill as a run-of-the-mill middle-tier quarterback, rating it a zero. I have Malik Willis as a minus four, which would be a below-average replacement, a below-average backup quarterback. That would be a four-point adjustment. Obviously, we're moving from four here through the three. So going to Willis would be two. I'd make the spread two. The market is telling you that there's a good chance, one, either Tannehill won't play, or two, Tannehill will be horribly compromised in this game. I think the former is much more likely. So I would expect to see Malik Willis. And because of that, um, then the market would match what I what I would make the game. I'd make it four with Tannehill, two with Willis. Now, if I I just said, hey, that quarterback downgrade is four points. Why am I only moving two points? Well, I'm going through the NFL three. And because of that, I've got to count those at least as double moves when I do that. So that's why only a two-point adjustment from four to two, which would match the market on that game. That's funny. When you say four to two, I'm like, yeah, four-point move. What do you mean? <laughs> but, you know, I've been here for a minute. Malik Willis, by the way, 40 PFF grade. That would be the worst in the league. One QBR grade. 
You don't have to. You don't have to guess. That would be the worst in the league. But hey, he played three plays, though, right? Yeah, he was played partially in two games. So okay. you know, leave him alone. But not great early on in his career. The Seahawks, after their big win over the Chargers, are favored over the Giants. Look ahead line was Seahawks minus one. World Open Seahawks minus two and a half over the Giants. We are now looking at a flat three Seahawks minus three over the six and one Giants. So now think about this: the the one thing about pro betters and pro betting syndicates, they have deep pockets. The last thing they got to worry about is running out of money. So here's a circumstance, a situation where the Giants uh, upset the Ravens, they upset the Packers, they upset the Titans. They um, and they get the upset win last week. All this team has done is get the W's in an underdog role, and money poured in against them. Jacksonville closed minus three point two. Sharps were all over Jacksonville minus the three, um, and and minus two and a half. And so now the sharps, when this opens two and a half, they're like, ah, eh, we don't care. We're going to go ahead and fade the Giants again. Um, in another bad spot, now the Giants have to go ahead and wheel from southern Florida. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, McKenzie, what's the longest dis- distance? I know they're not going directly, but um, having to fly from Jacksonville to Seattle, that seems like the furthest away cities in the United States, right? It's pretty close, yeah. Maybe like uh, Fort-, Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> but as far as NFL cities, I think that's one and two, right? There. Right, Miami. So if, yeah, I guess if they played in the Florida Keys and they had to go to whatever that island is, it's like off the Canadian Seattle coast, um, <laughs> the Victoria Island or something. But you get the you get the idea. I know they're going back to New York and then going to Seattle. So there's quite a bit of travel associated with this. And you know the Seahawks team. I get to. I, I bet RJ Geno Smith over under eighteen and a half or twenty and a half for his QBR the rest of the year. I don't think it really matters. I'm going to lose that bet. What was Geno? Yet another solid game um, against the Chargers. Seahawks have a big home field advantage. I had the, I had the cheap the Seattle a half point better, and go ahead and give them. You know, three for home field gets me a three and a half. Now, again, I'm going through the three, so that gets me to three. That's what the spread is. So I'd make the case that power rating-wise, the line should be three. Situation-wise, it's a horrible spot for the Giants. I know they got the win. I know, one yard. When when you're on the 16-yard line, don't and there's 12 sec, and there's 10 seconds left. <laughs> don't throw a pass to the two-yard line. We learned this during the Tennessee Titan Super Bowl, right? Exactly. Um, my goodness, I could only look to Seattle. Can this game line possibly go to three and a half? Let me see here. Um, you know, if Jacksonville, Jacksonville is a lot better than Seattle. I don't think it can go to three and a half. But then again, there's so much anti-giant sentiment. Out there, it's just crazy. Uh, people do not believe in the Giants. Next game, the Indianapolis Colts hosting the Washington Commanders. Lots of movement in this game and QB news. Look ahead line was Colts minus six. World Open was Colts minus four and a half hosting the Commanders. Now we are looking at Colts a little bit less than three. I'm going to say minus 2.8 hosting the Commanders. Okay, what's going on here? Well, quarterback change. So Matt Ryan has a shoulder sprain. But um, Frank Reich says it's not the shoulder sprain, it's the quarterback. <laughs> Matt Ryan, you know what? I'm going to book you a ticket to the, the Hall of Fame right now, if he qualifies. And you're done. You're not my quarterback anymore. We're going with the University of Texas, Sam Ellinger at quarterback. Now, 
if I take a look at my quarterback ratings and I look at Matt Ryan, I have Matt Ryan a minus two right now, and I have an Ellinger a minus three and a half. That's a one and a half point downgrade, and I'm pretty confident in my Ellinger rating. So that would explain going, you know, from four down to you know three on the point spread. Having said that, I, Frank Reich is not a bad coach, and probably the situation here is he is well aware that something is drastically wrong physically with Matt Ryan, right? That um, for him to make this move and preempt any chance for he's going to bring Ryan back, at least unless something unforeseen happens, I think um, Matt Ryan, this is the year of the washed-up quarterback, potentially. Would you agree, McKenzie? Everybody except for Geno Smith, apparently, who's having a, a rejuvenation, by the way. Number seven QBR on the weekend. I thought you'd, you'd want to know. How old is Geno Smith? Good question. I'm going to guess he's the same age as Russell Wilson, 32. He's 32. Yeah, 30, same age as me. 32-year-olds are not washed up unless they're named Russell Wilson. So, uh, <laughs> that, so that does not indeed surprise me. So, you know, as far as, you know, future move here, um, mm, uh, with Washington— it's hard to believe that Washington is going to get a lot of support. You know, maybe the Colts team is going to rally uh, behind their quarterback. Uh, but then again, Washington's going to rally around Heineke. True. Because so I, but a rare case where both teams much happier with their backup quarterback. So this is a backup quarterback rallying game. Someone's going to come out of this game, the locker room feeling very good. From a battle of backups to a battle of disappointing starters or quasi-starters, we have the San Francisco 49ers at the L.A. Rams. L.A. Rams were favorites in this in the look-ahead line, minus two and a half. Then after the McCaffrey news, we're minus one. In the world open, the 49ers minus one. Now 49ers about minus one and a half. All right, help me out with this line. So the Rams, they didn't play, so nothing has happened for the Rams. The 49ers give up nine yards per play. They get more defenders injured, right? They have seven of their defensive starters injured in some way for something like it, McKenzie? Yeah, there's a bunch of guys questionable every week. Yes. Um, And yet the money pours in on the Niners in this game to the point that they're a a one-and-a-half-point favorite off of um, an extremely disappointing effort against um, Kansas City. Can you explain what's going on here? I can't really. I definitely downgraded my opinion of the 49ers, particularly their defense. A lot of people made the point, and I think it's true. They faced one good quarterback this year, and they were exposed. So unless we're playing Baker Mayfield every week, I'm not sure if we have the best defense in the league after all. You know, I know this total, always easy to pass post, but this total was like 45 just a couple weeks ago, and it goes to show, narrative-wise, people were slow to get to the fact that the Rams really have become an under-team where their defense is still fine, and that offense, woof, that offense is Cooper Cup. And their punter, so you know they are they are absolutely struggling. Um, well, I'm not going under 41, that's for sure. Um, you know, in this game, uh, it sure. In terms of my ratings, I have the 49ers only one point better. But you know what? I'm not sure if there is any home field advantage, um, especially off of a Super Bowl win. You'd say, oh, team's excited they're off a Super Bowl win, but LA is a flaky town. And you start playing poorly, and the crowd can turn on you really quickly. Um, you know, would you give the Rams one and a half for home field? Would you give them one? Would you give them two? What would you give them, McKenzie? I wouldn't give them more than one, especially off a of bye, off a of Super Bowl win. I'm not sure if they were uh, they were buttoned up, or, nor should they be. You know, live your life at, at a certain point. 
So maybe uh, on this game, I'd give I'd, I'd say no home court advantage is right. No home court. They're playing basketball. <laughs> Slipped into that one. He elbows his way in. <clears throat> All right, I'm back. Green Bay, Buffalo, Sunday night football. The biggest underdog of Aaron Rodgers' career. Tell us about the line moves. So look ahead line, Buffalo minus eight and a half. All right, so let's think about that. Eight and a half, and the, and the only thing that's happened is the Green Bay game. That's right. Buffalo on a bye, unless there was news about they're in Cancun drinking too much. <laughs> so nothing's happening with Buffalo. So Green Bay, obviously, poor game against Washington, lose outright. What an adjustment. Now the line has gone from 8.5 to 11. Opens 11. It's currently 11. So the market sentiment has soured on Green Bay to the tune of 2.5 points. Is that, is that, could that be warranted? Just by in it, going through on and off a 10 means it wasn't an in, uh, it wasn't a unimportant line move, right? These aren't dead numbers. That's right. So, really, the only way we can justify this is if there's a fundamental shift in the Green Bay locker room. Because performance wise, I downgraded Green Bay by a point and a half, poor game against Washington. But, you know, that's a pretty significant downgrade. But now you got to ask yourself are the players looking at this? Hey, this is just. This could well be a lost season. We had a rallying game here against Washington where we should have showed up and we didn't. Is there a fundamental shift in the – Green Bay just isn't all in this year like they were in past years. But doesn't the Carolina game from this week call into question that very premise of a shift in the locker room? Because if there was ever a time to think a team was going to be down – I mean, wouldn't you say that coming into the Tampa-Carolina game that it was the most disparate motivational spot maybe ever where one team, Tom Brady, they've lost – what was it? They lost against Pittsburgh as a big favor. They don't want to go under 500. This was – they were 3-3. and We talk about any team doesn't want to go – and against Carolina who didn't bounce back with the new coach – which usually happens. Right. So Steve Wilkes comes in, and there's a little mutiny on the sideline. One of the wide receivers, Robbie. Gets Andrews, traded out of town. Says, I'm not playing for you guys anymore. And this this is bull crap. And they, you, there's one player on the offense that has that, that is considered elite, and he gets traded. So C-Mac gets sent packing, and all of a sudden it's like it's clear. We're looking for ping pong balls here, people. We're, t- we're, we're not tanking. But winning is not a priority, and yet the players rallied and played their best game of the year. Did they rally, or did they just do what they usually do, which is play, and they played well? I mean, I, I think we try to act like that the ups and downs of this have a lot. I think it's extreme cases where teams are so down that it really de- depresses their play. And I think it's extreme cases when they're so up that it buoys their play. Mm-hmm. But I think probably 70 to 80 percent of games, the motivation is close enough that it, it doesn't really affect it. I agree with that. Maybe even more so. Right. You know, maybe 80 to 90. And I think it's harder on the very extremes, on the the furthest extreme. Like we've seen NBA teams, like literally at the end of the year, that effort level is just so questionable. But the NBA is a different sport. It is. They, they Talent trumps everything. If you got potential, they'll give you a fourth chance, a fifth chance. Mm-hmm. In the NFL, there's only, what, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 people that are really good enough that they're going to get accommodated, mm-hmm. maybe three per team on average, and then everyone else is pretty replaceable. Meaning, in aggregate, who you've got in those spots make up a big chunk of winning. It'd be interesting to say, 
Um, let's take let's look at the three best players on every team, and then just grade them against each other. Mm. Then we grade the entire team against each other. I would make the case that, taking out quarterback, right? <laughs> Probably have to, right? I don't know. If I think if you take out quarterback, everyone's the same. Well, not the same, but I think all the Close. teams are about the same. Yeah, you're right. The three. Ba- so I think even if you leave in quarterback, mm. that, that 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 I think that the that big three will be less than half of what makes the difference in the teams because we see good quarterbacks with bad teams and it doesn't work that well. I mean, let's think about this example. Um, oh, Herbert, right? I mean, obviously the Chargers are a disaster. Mm-hmm. And Herbert, no one seems to think he's still not a top five quarterback. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so here we got a, a, a the book on the Chargers. I wonder if the Chargers aren't a lot like the Rams, right? Remember, the, you know, we talked about well, how well one won the Super Bowl. How, we're, we're talking about how t- and and the Chargers, the team, everyone bets to win the Super Bowl, and but, they don't make the playoffs. Yes, but the chart, but but we always talk about well, the Rams need to stay healthy. They're top heavy, right? And I wonder if the Chargers, you know, they're a lot of their best players got hurt, and they're just not any good anymore. Even with the real good quarter. Well, but but entering this game, who had been hurt? I mean, I you know Jackson got hurt in this game, but uh, I mean Bosa, Keenan Allen. But Bosa played this most recent. Yes, game. but he's been hurt most of the year. Well, he's hurt most their every left, year. Their left tackle, his name escapes me. Yeah, well, they lost the rookie, the, the rookie from last year. I thought he was a right tackle, but either way, Slater. I think. Yeah, it Slater. Is, right? Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. But um. Listen, every team's had injured. I mean, I wouldn't say that the Chargers have been overly injured. Oh, I would. I would. Okay. I would. Well, the question is, do you make an adjustment for Bosa being injured every year? I mean, yeah. uh, uh, right? I mean, he's he's injury prone. So is well. Here's what I would say. And now the Chargers' other wide receiver got injured. Yeah. So, and we'll go over when we do the recap, uh, which is a separate pod. And by the way, uh, when you were talking about it, was Mike Williams, high ankle sprain. Now, you know, that tends to be, what, four to five, six weeks. Right. So, you know, but still, that's important weeks. Let's get back to the general point is the depth of these teams matter more, especially in years there's a lot of injuries for whatever reason. You know, why are there more injuries this year? It seems like there are. There, you know, that really has stood out to me. Two things, like the injuries for all these teams and the disparate results. You, you, you brought this up in pre-production. I don't ever remember a year where there's just so many whacked out final scores. Mm. One way freight train runaway games. Look, I, I haven't watched it yet. We're taping game just went final Monday Night Football. New England laying eight and a half at post, lose by 18. Yeah. And we looked at that example and we looked at the Tampa Bay example. And I think it was the Tampa Bay one. No, no, no. It was the Patriots one where it was four times out of 700. That a team that was favored in this range lost by this many points. So 700 instances, fourth time. And, and that was on top of Tampa Bay. Yes. So you've got a 1 in 200 occurrence that happened twice this week. That makes you think it's not random. Something's going on here. I agree. Um, and obviously the Tampa was a bigger favor. You know, Tampa was. McKenzie brings up, um, is this maybe the dream crusher concept for Green Bay? Now, I don't think so. Because the dream crusher is your dream at the beginning of the season is no longer possible. And usually for one week, that is a depressing, depresses performance and effort. Green Bay still has a chance to win the Super Bowl. Oh, absolutely. And Aaron Rodgers has such a history of relax, you know, take some ayahuasca or whatever, that, that, that I don't think he's going to panic. But 
we'll, we'll listen. I got a I got a take on Aaron Rodgers that we'll put in the next pod. Mm-hmm. It's going to be slander, slanderous, not the legal term slander. Let me ask slanderous. Let me ask you on this game. So Aaron Rodgers came out and said, you know, maybe the best thing could happen for us as a team is to be put in the underdog role like we are at Buffalo. No one's given us a chance. I didn't really know how to respond to that. It's the 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 fact that they've been falling on their face as a favorite. Might it be good for them to be a huge underdog? What do you think? I disagree, and here's why. And I think this applies to Tampa too, not the Tampa two mm-hmm. defense. Okay. Also, Tampa is the reason we like to bet favorites off a loss is that a big chunk of the advantage of the underdog is questionable motivation by the favorite. They feel like, hey, we got this. Don't worry. Whatever the extra work is, we don't have to do it. Once you lose a game and then you lose the second game, that's gone. It's now the, the narrative that's coming out of these games is what they're trying to avoid like blood, which is, is, is Tom Brady done? Right. Is Aaron Rodgers checked out? Because you lose one and then you bounce back. Everyone's hey, aberration, long season. Everyone... How often do you see a team lose two as a bigger favorite? And what we've seen with Green Bay is this has been more than just two. I mean, you're looking at a situation where they obviously lost to the Giants, right? And then they lost to the Jets, and they got dismantled by the Jets. Yes. 27-10, and then they lose to Washington. You could see coming in the Giants game, it's London, Aaron Rodgers, when he travels, seems to not play as well. He didn't play well in California a stretch a couple years ago. It's kind of known that is what happens. But now you're at home and you're playing the Jets and you get crushed. Now, you could say, oh, they didn't take the bye off of London. Big mistake. Old team, whatever. Okay, maybe. But then don't they win this game against a backup quarterback? And and they playing against a team that has no home field advantage, so you've got more fans in the stands and you still can't get a win against, you know, with against Heineken. Yes. So to me, Rippin. <laughs> I get them all mixed up. Well, no, Rippin was uh with Denver. Yeah, I'm sorry. Heineken. I was right. Heineke. Heineke. I call him Heineken. <laughs> Listen, Steve just lost 18,000 18, of value. He's a little down right now. Thousand. That's like the sting. You owe me 15,000, pal. Now, I'll tell you this. <sighs> I'll tell you this. If it wasn't for that, I'd be talking about my Bears bat with you. But I'm not going to do that. Ugh. Pile, pile on. <laughs> Can we agree that the Bears are better than they see? And I've got the Bears under six and a half, and so the the under four is a loss. Now now it's like the under six and a half is in play. See, I it's so funny. You respect the market on things like closing line value, which I do too, but not as much. And that's a long debate. The question just becomes how how liquid is the market, right? You know, there's a lot of markets not liquid, but it does seem weird that the entire world was saying how bad the Bears were in the preseason, and they still had like the fourth, you know, they were fourth from the bottom in their win total when Minnesota was supposed to be pretty good and Green Bay was supposed to be good. It wasn't like and Detroit was supposed to have be seven win. It wasn't like they had an easy division. Mm-hmm. It seemed funny to me. Um, okay, fields look good tonight. They look real good. Yeah, it's it's so funny because usually the Patriots do so well against young quarterbacks, and they do so well against one-dimensional teams. And this was what shocked me. He did real well running. He he had a lot, all kinds of RPOs, and and it literally looked like like the Patriots almost had a spy on him, and he just faked out the spy and would run for twenty yards. He's just a talent. You got to wonder how much of this Mac Jones negativity. I mean. Is affected the team because it, it. I mean, the fact he came in. Um, 
uh, oh, I'm having uh, the backup. I'm having a Zappy. Zappy came in and scored a touchdown on the first drive. It kind of made you think the team felt up. You know, first two drives. Oh, is that right? Okay, yes, ten nothing, and then they they got immediately bolt of energy and got and New England went up fourteen to ten. Oh, you were watching that close at that yeah. point. You were thinking this is gonna be. You know what's funny? I was I was looking in the second half as I was getting ready to come in. Is I was looking at the score and I had forgotten about our Bears bat. In a moment, and I was thinking, I was rooting for the Patriots. I'm like, man, what, what the heck? What's going to happen here? And I was just, you know, you check back, and four game clock minutes have gone, and you see the score. And then I remembered my Bears bet, and all of a sudden, I thought, oh, they're not going to hold on. It's like, like in my mind, I went from, boy, the Pats look bad; they might lose this one. To when I had a, a reason to root for the Bears, it was like I didn't think the Bears had a chance. Yeah, Bears. It was, up- so, it was so weird how my mind, it, it just happened, and in an instant, I became pessimistic about the Bears. Bears up twenty <laughs> to fourteen at halftime. Bears second half plus six and a half. There was a rogue seven. You know, one thing I like pulling back the curtain a little bit. Actually, I looked at the circa halftime just by coincidence, and it was only six. Maybe that was, was early. That? that was early in the. Maybe it was early in the half. Well, six and six and a half were one and the same, other than a tie, because it was twenty oh, to fourteen. Oh, that's a good so, point. So sometimes what the clever books do ah. is when the line six and a half, they're like, matters we're, who they we're, want. We're going to tr- well, and we're going to trick the betters into thinking, oh, I'm laying six on a line that's six and a half. Because when you think about it, mm. if, if all things being equal, if the line, let's say a team's the extreme example is you're up by three, mm-hmm. okay, and you're laying three. I can tell you as a bookmaker, I'm not making. Oh, you're you're down three and you're laying three. I'm going to make the second half line either two and a half or three and a half to trick the betters into taking something that looks like it has value when it doesn't. That's Steve Fezzik. I'm R.J. Bell. This is the Market Report or the Tote Board Watchers Association. Something we'll figure it out. All right, we are going to get a line move prediction from you. So anything else? Where do you expect this game to go? Green Bay, Buffalo. You know, I think it goes up. I think it goes up because we're, we're seeing Buffalo's the perception is that's a team that can be trusted. They bury teams. They've got a long history, and the the betting public off a buy, off of a buy, and the betting public never seems to tire. No matter how many times a, a big favorite goes down, and we just saw it on Monday Night Football. You, you you could say, well, wait, New England just you know crapped the bed as a as a yeah, big but favorite. Philly and Buffalo. And to some degree, Kansas City yes. are the only teams people really trust, and they exactly. haven't Exactly. Good teams win, great teams cover, and you can just see the public's like, you can trust Buffalo to get it done And I kind of think you can, too, to be yes, honest so with far, you. So far, yes. Here's why I do not want any part of Green Bay. I question, I question their... I don't think the mic's picking you up, guys. <laughs> They're screaming in the other room. All right, <laughs> this is like real world almost. Is that is that is that the um, is that AJ? Is that the rattler? I thought so. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Mackenzie. All right, <laughs> um, the rattler. <laughs> I think there's questionable motivation on this Green Bay team, and I also think that Aaron Rodgers historically does very poorly down big in games. Mm. They, there was a study done, like I think 2014. That he came back, like he was equally good to Tom Brady and uh, Peyton Manning in all spots. They did the analysis, except when they were down by ten or more. Well, that, yeah, it's a great point because we got a Packer team that's gone thirteen and three three straight years before this year, but well, fourteen and three last year. But, but, but remember, 
how many games they seemingly have been blown out in California and you know in 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 the in the well, warm New Orleans, weather. New Orleans that one game, yeah. Yeah, whereas like when when you get a typical team that goes thirteen and three, they don't get blown out in any games. That's you know? interesting. But the theory is that Aaron Rodgers is so protective of his stats, especially of not throwing interceptions, uh-huh. that at times where it would make sense to throw a forty percent ball, meaning sixty percent of the time this is going to go bad, forty it's going to go good. Well, that doesn't help his stats. Yeah. And the best example of this is if there's a Hail Mary at the end of the half, not at the end of the game, because at the end of the game, they're going to throw it the best they can. But end of the half, maybe throw it out of bounds. Oh, it just went out of of the end zone by a yard. Even better, you dump it down to a running back, he gets 25 yards with no chance to score, but you just got a 25-yard completion. We could have gotten a face mask penalty, gotten the three. So so I think Aaron Rodgers has been accused, and and it feels like rightly so, of being too protective of his stats when down. So if they get down by 21 against Buffalo – Mm. Are they? How much are they fighting back? And is the team maybe not fighting back? Is Aaron Rodgers maybe playing it too safe in that spot? I think it, I think that has to be a factor. I agree, and also a factor is you know what if Buffalo's up big against um, a Jacksonville or a Houston, mm-hmm. eh? You know we we knew we were going to win this game. But um, being able to pound a team that's got the Green Bay Packers on their helmets, mm-hmm. even though they know this, what the spread is, it feels good, man. And I think Kansas City looking so good against San Fran probably has Buffalo mm-hmm. saying, we want to make our – no, here's our return yes. statement. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you had to say the biggest likelihood of a line move this week, we'll have this be the best bet you can be most sure of this line move. Which team, which direction? I'm going to jump to Monday Night Football. I'm going to take the Cincinnati Bengals. So we haven't even talked about this yeah, line. Yeah, this is our last so, game. So this is going to be the one. So let's talk about that line, and then we'll talk about the prediction. All right. So the look-ahead line was 2.7. Okay. All right, so a little, little less than three. Yeah, between 2.5 and, and 3. And then it opened up at 3, and it's 3.2 right now. So it hasn't gotten to 3.5 yet. It's minus 3 with extra vig. And I think the narrative is out, and I agree with the narrative that maybe Burrow had that appendicitis and wasn't completely 100% ready to go. His linemen, the protection schemes weren't right. They didn't get to work with Burrow during the preseason, but now the offense is clicking big time for the Bengals. And I think that the perception is that you know if there's one team out there other than Kansas City, Philly, and Buffalo that could become an elite team at Cincinnati. Okay. Now, I think there's one other piece to this, which is schematically they've gone to almost exclusively the Bengals have shotgun. And what was happening is, and we'll talk about this more in the recap show, is they were too siloed, which meant, okay, they're out under center. It's second down and seven. They were running the ball in an inordinate amount of the time Mm. uh, where the formation would tell you the play or at least the type of play. Ah. And it was like the guys on the X's and O's pods or whatever were like saying this is as bad as we've ever seen where they're telling or um, they're they're hinting at, I guess. What is it? They're tipping. They're tipping the play. And they've gone out and started to go shotgun almost exclusively. And and they're running out of the shotgun. And they're actually play action passing out of the shotgun. And it lets Burrow do what he does best. Remember, when you play action pass – your eyes are – you turn your back to the defense. Big Ben would hardly ever play action pass. He wanted to be able to see the defense. Well, Burrow is a great processor. 
And, oh, McCann's a good one. Telegraphing. Yes, tele was an, a, another example of it. Tipping, telegraphing. Thank you. Burrow's processing is so good that him being able to be the, like the point guard of the offense in a way, by taking that snap, keeping his eyes on the up down. Charlie Ward, for whatever reason, I used to think he'd always have his head up nice and high. And that's what Burrow does, but he processes so well. It helps he's got three home run wide receivers to, yeah. to go to also, yes. But, but, but what I'm saying is that's the case in both those scenarios, right? And it, and it also maybe is helping Cincy get away from running the ball so much. Most of the analytics people think Cincy's a little too quick to run the ball. And I thought it was more last year that Burrow wasn't 100% physically, so he was protecting his knee a little bit. Sure. Who knows? But I think it's not just Burrow getting physically better. I think it's this schematic change is a positive for Cincy. Absolutely. And I think if you look at the season-long stats for Cincy, Burrow had a bad first game, and I think it's fair to just delete that off of and, – and if you take that out, all of a sudden his numbers are just dynamite. Okay, so you are predicting what line move? Uh, that the line goes to Bengals minus three and a half, and some fours and, pop, and some fours pop up right before the game starts. Monday Night Football, remember? So the public, this is a case where the wise guys I think are going to like look towards Cincinnati minus three, mm-hmm. but the public's going to back them minus three and a half. Well, they're not as price sensitive. Yes, it's like it's like when you buy a six dollar water when you're thirsty, like you just you, you don't like it, but you do it. You know what I do is like I get my four free drinks from from for being the seven stars, and I go to Giada because they have the extra large Fiji waters, and I get three of those with my coffee. And how much does that cost you? Zero. Uh, and do you think about the Earth and like all that plastic? No, uh, it's not your job. I do put it in the recycle. You do know, you? Yes. Do they? Do you ask for a nickel or something? Like no, just, the, like just Kramer in my, with the bottles? No, just in our garbage can. You know, you got to <laughs> go in the recycle. That's very nice. I, listen, so, I think that's carbon neutral. My wife's happy when I bring that. She doesn't like it when I bring like the the cold pressed apple juice and stuff. She's like, just get the Fiji. I like the Fiji. Yeah, I mean, you know, the twelve dollar cold pressed apple juice you got for free. Don't bring yeah. that in this house, Mister. Uh, little little glimpse. All right, guys, this has been the market report. Fez did a good job. And he does every week. We'll be back with this next week. Remember, yes. You have a Thursday idea, though, with the market report oh, I on did. a line move on this Baltimore-Tampa Oh, I did Tampa promise a best bet, did Yes. I? And I, want to, I deliver at least 55% of my teases. That's always been my goal. So here it is. It's all you can ask for. That's like best in the world, 55%. <laughs> no, a lot of those guys are fanatical. Radio guys are fanatical about it. So you officially like that Cincinnati to keep going up. Mm-hmm. I want to look at Thursday night. Now, we got the Ravens and we got the Bucks. Now, this line has moved drastically. And you know what's funny? This is interesting. So you would have talked about this game, right? All right. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we're going to bookend it here. Do you feel like the line move is warranted? Meaning, again, this is an example of one game. Well, I guess Baltimore played. Baltimore didn't cover, but it's hard to say that they – let's just say I don't think they got downgraded from that game. Do you? Did you downgrade? I, I, I put them down half a point. Yeah, yeah, I, it was comp. You know. I'm not sure. I mean, because – Their stats were If it goes so a little good. different at the – if they go for it on fourth at the end, they they might cover that game pretty easy, yes. right? Well, they were up 10. They're always up 10, right? Yeah. But what Seemingly. I'm saying – Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's hard to imagine you downgrade them. But, but okay. They, they fumbled in the red zone. Which is pretty random. So, so they're up – so talking about random, there's there's – Three but minutes to play. You're making the case it's random, but you're, yeah, you're downgraded. Right. There's, there's three minutes to play. They're in the red zone on second down. They're running out the clock, and they fumble. They probably they win by six if they don't fumble. Mm-hmm. All right. So what I would say is what's left is Tampa. And 
does the Tampa downgrade w- warrant the line move? So what did you see from the look ahead? I know you went over this, but the look ahead to current, how much of a move? Understanding going through pick them is going to be one tick. You know, from one to one is a one-point line move. So Tampa was laying minus 2.9 on the look ahead. Okay. All right. Now, if you fast forward it, the Tampa Bay's catching two. There's been almost a five-point line move. All right, but hold on. You're saying 2.7. And then two, that's going to be 4.7. Minus the one. Minus the, the one is 3.7. Three and a half to four. Okay. That's a, that doesn't seem possible to be warranted. Yeah. And what's happening, I downgraded Tampa two and a half points. All right. That's that's a monster down. Monster, monster downgrade. And now the question just becomes the ancillary impacts, the locker room, the the, the home field advantage. Do they even have a home crowd anymore? How are they? How are they? Oh, I, I, they're not giving up on Tom Brady yet. Yeah. You know, uh, but that's what the mar- the market's giving up on them. You know, by the by this line. But they're not giving up on them. They're saying that they're a team that is a pick'em team at home against a Baltimore team that's probably top five or six in the league. Yes. Right. So that means they they probably got Tampa. Well, let's think about it. This is saying Tampa's. Let's say they got a one and a half point home field, and now we're saying they're about two right now. All right, so that's going to be three and a half, two and a half. They're saying that Baltimore is two and a half points better than Tampa. I have Baltimore two and a half points better. Yeah, so I wouldn't say, and and that puts Tampa where? Number like 12? 15. Okay, wow, that's amazing. Tampa is 15. It's really a hard number to make. And Green Bay is what? Green Bay is 19th. You might think, oh my God, can you believe it? The Giants are better than Tampa, better than Green. Well, well, hold on a second. What do you have the Giants at? 21st. I, it's so, in a way, you ever have like a brother or a uh, a friend, he's the same way or she's the same way 30 years later and it used to frustrate you, but now it's almost like the familiarity of it makes you smile, even though it would have made you crazy 30 years, My 20 years ago. My brother-in-law backs his car up for every single spot. So when we were in Ohio, my parents have a very tricky driveway. It is you're going up an incline and it's narrow. You got a building on one side and you've got you and you fall off a hill on the other side. And he backed the car up this driveway, fraught with danger, and we're like, you know, wouldn't it just be easier to like Oh, so so you're not a very good driver. Up? Would you agree with that? You're an let's say average at best. Or would you say you're like a guy who could be like a race car driver? I'm a below average driver. All right. I think that's, that's why there's a reason you always tell me, and you've driven with me before, so you know. Although, <laughs> once. I, once. Uh, well, to be, fair, to be fair, you drove with me when I was like sleep deprivated off of a flight at midnight from Atlanta. It was, am I really going to have to wait in the Uber line or drive with feds? It's only about 10 minutes. You, you know? buckled it, up. It was you're a like, close call. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but, but maybe he shows up and you know he's banging your sister. But every, and all of a sudden he's driving like a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, backing up. It probably pissed you look off. Look at it. Every Everyone thinks they're a better driver than 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 everyone else, and they're right. And here's why: because they're usually driving alone. But you think you're below average. Every, so but how everyone, bad are you? but everyone drives better alone. And when you observe other people's driving, they're always driving with somebody else in the car. So you're getting a biased sample. That's why everyone feels that they're a better driver than what they observe. They're correct because people drive worse with people in the car. Now, amazingly, and you might not understand how or why, or you understand why, but how this happened. But we actually have some tape of what your brother-in-law said the one time when you got confronted him about the way he was driving. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Now, I'm not sure what he was implying there. There will be blood. <laughs> but 
Great comedy aside, <laughs> let's talk about this pick. I believe the following, that Lamar Jackson is much tougher to play the first time a team plays him. He's, un he's unlike any other player in the history of the game. Yes. Really. And you look at his performance in division. These are the teams most familiar. It's worse by a significant margin than against teams out of his division. Well, you've got three levels of familiarity in the NFL. Divisional, conference, out of conference. You only play the out of conference teams other than this new 17th game every four years. Mm -hmm. You only play at a certain venue every eight years. It's about, you know, home and home. So this is the first time they played Lamar in four years. How many players on the Tampa Bay defense are even there? No, very few. Right. Lamar is a different. I mean, first of all, did, was Lamar even the quarterback four years ago? I guess he wasn't even the quarterback that mm. year. I, that would have been his first year, right? So I wonder if it was during the Flacco era. That's something to look at, right? Um, but I, I don't. Even if they did, there's so little. Uh, there's so much turnover in those four years. So now, I'm thinking, okay, how do we get at that? Well, it feels like to me, first half makes more sense because hey, you see Philadelphia as an example. I think it takes a while to get used to them. They're not doing as well in the second half, right? Yeah, and. and Comparable, very difficult quarterback to defend. So I think Philly and, I, and, it's and Baltimore more importantly unusual. Unusual, exactly. It's like facing the armed forces, army or navy, or running the option. Yeah. I, I agree. So now, I think there's a second reason to like the first half, which is Baltimore's horrible in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you want to avoid that at all costs. I mean, this has gotten to be a trend. Oh yes. So now the question becomes, why wouldn't we want this in the first half? And it's if you think you have the right pick. You'd rather have a whole game for it to resolve itself, mm -hmm. right? And I'd rather have a whole season. I'd rather run 10,000 simulations if they were accurate. But right? you don't want those simulations in the fourth quarter. I agree. So it's, I don't even think I like Baltimore for the game. But I think there's so much point into the first half. Now, Fez, considering the line, I want to make sure. Because here's the thing. If you think about it and you say... Well, if a team is favored by one, one and a half, two, or two and a half, it would make a ton of sense to take the dog in a plus two if somehow you were getting, let's say, plus one on the half because it's like, we're not at the number three, which is so important, but I'm still, but even if we went to three, what would I be, plus one and a half? So there's a disconnect about the importance of two and a half to three for the game and from pick them to minus any spread because ties are very exactly viable. Exactly right. So in any shorter sample, you just hate laying one or a half. You want to get to the pick or a first half. You want to get to pick them. And because let's, let's face it, if they tie at the end of the game, you can win in overtime. If they tie at the end of the first half and you're laying one, you lose, sir. Good day. So I'd much prefer, in this case, instead of laying one in the first half, I'd much prefer laying like minus $1.33, which is, will be about what it will be. Mackenzie, can you check to see if that line is live? It's saying DraftKings has minus 115 for the first half. Well, we'll see if that's the right yeah. number. If it is, it's, it'll be better right now. All right, I like it. Not a, not like a play of the year type thing. What do we got, Mackenzie? One fifteen. Oh, I guess he doesn't have his mic on. All right, um, Fez, let's get that baby. Um, Put the order I mean, in. It, it's going in. L limit bet, I think, is what they call it. What's it say? Makes no sense. Well, good. That's the ones we want to play, isn't it? 
they don't look at these derivatives as closely. I love it. Damn, I'd, I'd bet 10,000 on that. Times 10,000. No, no, not that. All right, boys, you're watching the sausage being made here. If you want to wonder how I have a seven-year-old Grand Cherokee, how did I rate that? It's this kind of action. It's this kind of smart moves. We'll be back next week with more of the same. And we got the recap show coming up, which I think has been stupendous, actually. And I'm kind of hard on myself. So listen in. Straight out of Vegas, obviously, five days a week, AM edition. Talk to you soon.